Hey guys, welcome back to the Image Junkies podcast. Sorry it's been a few weeks since the last episode, but I'm afraid life has a way of getting in the way. I'm just going to keep doing these podcasts as and when I can. I've got a good one today, though. I'm interviewing Phil Darley, a BBC cameraman. Uh, He was based in Moscow for some time. Now he's based back in London. He's actually South African. Um, I've known Phil since he was freelancing, probably about 12, 14 years ago at the BBC. And he's recently recently written a book, uh, a novel, called Pictures in a Hurry. And it's all about a cameraman from South Africa, hmm, seeing some parallels there to, to real life, who becomes a lecturer in a Bulgarian university and tries to pass on the things that he's learned over his years, many years as a cameraman. It's a really good book. It's quite philosophical. I'd, say, I'd almost go as far as to say it's, it's sort of literature rather than sort of fun genre fiction. But it's beautifully written and packed with really good anecdotes and insights into the world of the TV cameraman. So without further ado, let's hear from Phil. So you've written this book, Pictures in a Hurry, um, the, the story to the secrets of filming good shots. Um, can you tell us a bit about that? What was your, you know, what's it about? What was your motivation? Yeah. There are two key things, really, about my book. Um, how to film well. I wanted to capture the secrets of good shots. And this, the second one is, is what happens when the very essence of your being, what makes you tick, what motivates you, what gets you up in the morning, when, when that's gone, what do you do? And um, with these two themes, I've, I've kind of, well, the story, the story is, is told through the eyes of the protagonist. He's a professor called Rupert Day Carter. Um, he is also a cameraman, and he loses his way in his lectures. He teaches that passion is what you need to take good shots. Uh, but the thing is, he's discovered he's lost that himself. So, through the help of the antagonist, um, one of his students, sort of forces him to look back into his past to see where he lost his way. And um, he goes into the past through, through, through diaries or through notebooks, looking for, looking, look, looking for, for his mistakes. And uh, he picks up useful lessons along the way, uh, lessons that I hope, hoped everybody, everybody should know. Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting way of exploring our profession because I think the easy option would have been to do uh, similar to what I did with my book Camera Confidential, which would be a sort of straight, uh, you know, guide, uh, that sort of thing. But yours was written more like a novel. It was really interesting. It was it was a bit quirky, uh, beautifully written. And I just wondered what, what made you decide to do it in that way rather than more of a sort of straight, you know, how-to? Yeah, um, I'm, I mean, it started off as a, as a how-to, and uh, and I got bored writing it, and I was thinking, you know, so many people, there are so many how-to books, um, and I, I suppose also because I've been part and part of the BBC for so long, the the, the good old Ruthian tradition kicked in. The idea is to inf- inform 
uh, educate and entertain. I don't think it's quite in that order. But I thought, hell, yeah, let me give it a go. Let me see if I can write a story that grips you. And um, at the end of it, you would have learned the the secrets to filming good shots. Okay, yeah. No, I think I think that worked, and it and it came through. And um, I mean, one one thing I was interested to ask you is the main character Rupert. To me, it seemed clearly to be you, but maybe maybe that's because I don't know you well enough. I mean, was that sort of a, a thinly veiled Phil Darley, or or did you sort of have to dip into fiction quite a lot for that character? Is it autobiographical? Is that what you're asking? Essentially, yeah. You know, in a very polite way. I mean, yes, yes and no. Um, yes, of course, I've taken many of my own experiences and dilemmas. Um, when I was growing up, uh, I tended, tended, excuse me, when I was growing up, I kept a, a journal. I wrote down ideas, thoughts that I was excited about. And as hopefully what comes through in the in the book, one thing I'm passionate about is, is filmmaking. And um, so when I was growing up, I wrote down my lessons, um, probably over 10, 15, I don't know how many years, but, but a lot of my career. So compiling the book, I went back and I tried to pick out those, those instances in bullet points to understand my, my learning curves. Um, so that's the yes part. Um, the no part is in the end, I, I wanted, to be, I wanted to, to be true to the story. Um, finding facts and fiction to tell a story um, where all the elements are true to the story. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, there's one particular um, occasion where I didn't know what I was. I was going through a bit of writer's block, and I it was sort of three quarters of the way through the book, um, and I didn't know what, what was going to happen to to the professor. And then it dawned on me that he he was going to have he was going to fall in love with one of his students. And I thought, oh, wait a minute. If I if I go down that route, there's going to be these autobiographical instances coming through, and um, and people are going to be thinking, oh, this is what's really happened. But but in the end, I've always remained true to the story, and 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 um, the story needed needed me to say that, and that's that's the route that's the route it went. Okay. Wow. I mean, did you have to sort of really dig deep to um, to sort of write this book? I mean, I imagine it was quite an emotional roller coaster for you. It's um, it's ten years in the writing. It's taken me ten years, and I think the hardest part about the writing of of it is that um, it's stop and starting, um, working full time, um, having a family. Look, as you as you know. Kids, kids take a lot of time. Um, uh, free time isn't about writing. Free time is about is about is, is about is about a lot of other roles. And you get a motivate, you get motivated, and you're moving, and you're doing really well. And and uh, I get a week off, and I write, and then suddenly that week ends, and uh, and I'm back at work, and the flow is gone, and it takes me three or four days. It took me three or four days to get back into the flow, but I wouldn't have those three or four days to. Uh, so, so it was really, really stop, stop starting. And, and the worst scenario about that was um, initially when I wrote it, it, it was around 84,000 words. Um, and it was, there were just elements, dead, boring elements. And I cut almost 30,000 words out of it. I, I carved. It's the same way I do when I'm, when I'm, 
when I'm um, editing pictures is it's the same way same, my same style of filming is I tend to film overshoot and and film all the elements that I possibly might need for the story well in a way that's how I dealt, dealt with this book I just put everything I wanted on there and then just just started carving um, and the appalling thing was the quality of writing over those 10 years changed so drastically interestingly in the early days, I felt like my writing quality was better than the later days. So it took ages of loads of editing to go back and rewrite and hash, hash together and try and, and get it back to a standard that, that I was happy with. That's really interesting. Why do you, why do you think that was? Um, I, uh, difficult, I suppose it falls into the same thing. It's the idea of um, the motivation, the, the momentum is going and and voices and words are singing in my head and other times it's not there uh, but the discipline as all the writing books say is is it's you know it's not about when you're inspired you got to just sit down at seven o'clock or eight o'clock in the morning when you start writing and be inspired it doesn't matter if you are or if you aren't so it, it's it's tough not writing professionally but trying to call yourself a writer because it's hard work it really really is hard work i can't say there was ever a time that i um uh, that it was easy. It was never easy. It was a real slog the hard way the whole time. But what, what people say about, about writing, I think Richard Buck um, said that many years ago. He said, he said I, don't, wouldn't, I, wouldn't want, I wouldn't wish this, this torturous thing on anybody. Um, if it's something that you've got to do, it, it, that's what happened. You've just got to do, you just got to do it. And I, I hacked away at it until, until I did, um, and, 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 until, I, until I finished it. And now the the stereotype of the cameraman is usually, you know, that we're um, not very intellectual. You know, we're more physical than than mental. Um, but I mean, reading reading your book, clearly you're very sort of thoughtful. You're quite a deep guy, uh, and you're a very very good writer. Is 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 writing something that you get to do much professionally? I mean, when you're when you're working with young reporters things like that. Are you able to sort of do a bit of writing? Is it something you want to do more of in a work capacity as well? Um, y yes and no. I, I think one of my great frustrations in, in my industry, in my profession so far, is that I haven't been able to um, write for a living. I tend to be taking pictures for a living. Um, so there's this inept desire to be a writer. Um, perhaps that's why that's what pushed the novel to be born. But at the same time, I think uh, in a bizarre way, it complements the work that I do because I'm so passionate about storytelling. Um, I, uh, and, and, and I don't have a pen in my hand. Um, I want to tell stories. And, and, and the, the instrument that I do that with is the camera from my day-to-day my, my -day job that happens with, with the camera. And, um, and, of course, editing. The book isn't about editing, but for me the editing is... Uh, picture editing is a little bit like writing. The two go the two go hand in hand. Um, my favorite way of editing a story, actually, it doesn't happen often, but but when when the best things are going my way, it would be to sit down by myself and and um, edit edit the whole story without it without scripting it and and see what the pictures say, and then come back and and look at filling filling in the the little the little bits of of script. Um, that complement the pictures. Well, it's it's really interesting you say that. I I worked with Hugh Edwards, uh, who you've probably worked with as well, the uh, ten o'clock news presenter. For anyone who doesn't know, 
And that's kind of how he works. It was amazing. And I wish more people worked like that. He, you know, we went out, we shot a piece together and he said, okay, Chris, great. Let's try and do about two minutes. Um, you know, the best pictures, maybe find a clip where the guy says a little bit about this and that. Um, and I'll leave you to it. I'll come back in an hour and see what you've done. So he wandered off. I, uh, I cut the piece. He came back, he looked at it, went, mm-hmm, yep, great, brilliant, okay, let me watch it again. I showed it to him again. He said, okay, great, picked up a mic and just voiced to the pictures exactly as they were laid. Didn't even need to write anything down. It was quite amazing. Yeah, that's, um, that's a beautiful way to, to, tell, to tell stories. Um, the, best, uh, the best correspondents have a knack of looking at the pictures and then thinking and writing and looking for their inspiration from, from, from what's there. I, um, I was looking closely at Jeremy Bowen's scripts once, once upon a time when, when I was really pushing hard to, to try and be the script writer, um, the journalist, uh, earlier in my career. And what's fascinated about looking at his writing is when you transcribe his texts, what he's written, it almost doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm not talking about his radio sense. I'm his radio work. I'm talking about his his TV work. It almost doesn't make sense unless the pictures are there. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful skill 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 to have. Perhaps perhaps I could be a. I've always said if I started from fresh in this industry, I I might start off as a radio reporter. That's what's always inspired me. Um, I started off in South Africa working for local television and the quality was often mostly awful. Um, and, um, and I was always inspired in those days by the BBC and I always believed it was because the idea of television evolved from radio and with radio you have to rely on um, storytelling um, when you transfer that skill to, to video or to to television news packages or documentaries or feature films, um, um, you you're defining the art. You've you've created the the ultimate in 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 in, in wonderful storytelling. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I think I think radio is is great as well because there's so less tech involved and it's just you and a microphone and you know it kind of breaks down so many more barriers and it's so much easier to tell the story for radio isn't it you know without the handicap of lugging lots of equipment around and so on yeah absolutely um i've got a great quote from uh from any Lieber, Lieberwitz, if i pronounce that correctly um just I've, I've i've heard who i've heard the name but i'm not sure who she is is she a photographer yeah, yeah she is a photographer she's famous for taking um, she, she, talking about the philosophy of photographs, she was um, uh, the partner of Suzanne Suntag, which you probably know is a, is a great writer on on the art of the photographer. And uh, and but but of course she's well well known for taking ordinary pictures of celebrities. Um, one of the one of the pictures she one of the things she said. Um, anyway, it was the it was about the idea of don't let equipment don't let your gear kill the art um, because when you start worrying about all your technical all the technical stuff that you have to carry around you you lose sense of what you're doing you lose sense of the story um, oh yeah yeah um, I've written it down it's actually here don't let your kit kill your creati creativity um, 
uh, when you start to build too much equipment, you you end up just being dead. Um, you start thinking and looking and dealing with people. I mean, the big, the big part of, of, of filming good shots is, and I hope that comes through in the book, it is about your interaction with the people that you're filming. Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and I think that does come through in the book. I mean, I've got, uh, I've highlighted some of my favorite bits, uh, and I know there was a couple of, about exactly that, uh, where you talk about how those interpersonal skills are, are the most important. And funny you say that, because I've always felt the same way. Um, I remember once having a conversation with a reporter called David Silito, and I said to him, David, what do you think is the most important uh, skill or, or uh, you know, the most important thing for a camera person. And he sat and he scratched his chin and he thought about it and he said, emotional intelligence. And it was such a counterintuitive answer, but 100% nailed it. Um, you know, it doesn't matter how skillful you are. If you don't have that emotional intelligence and that ability to read people and to get on with people and to put them at ease, then you, you know, then you're useless really, aren't you? Yeah, no, I, I agree, agree with that entirely. Um, I think, it, again, it comes out in, in the section of my book is you've got to be ambidextrous. If, uh, if you're a quiet person uh, and the situation needs you to be the life of the party, you've got to become the life of the party. Um, be what, be, 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 be what um, the situation requires, requires from you. So it is, it is slipping or slotting into what people expect or what people want or, or what people are used to, really. Yeah, yeah. No, it's quite it's quite fascinating. I um I often think some of my best work is done when I'm um, you know, just tr almost sort of able to become invisible. You know, so you just sort of blend in, and people don't even you know they just kind of they just let you do your thing, and they're not even aware of you anymore. They've sort of stopped noticing you, which I think is is an important skill and very difficult to do. Um, I wonder if I can inter interfere there. I. Uh, if I can take your cue of invisible, I um, once wrote a, a, a podcast. Uh, it wasn't a podcast. I once wrote a blog about. Um, I, I called it "Invisible Man with a Movie Camera," and I'm wondering if I can uh, if I can write if I can read that to you. Yeah, please do. Do you have it on hand? Um, yeah, yeah. Here, uh, here we go. It's called um, "Invisible Man with a Movie Camera." What I like best when filming is the instant I turn invisible. It's often that moment a character understands the role of my camera. It can happen without words exchanged. It's a mutual awareness among human beings. The response is that, is that they continue doing what they do as if the camera is not present. Sometimes the moment happens quickly. Other times it takes a little longer. Rarely does it not happen at all. Although there is no word for it that stands out, except invisible, I don't really disappear. I just observe and record the presence as if I'm not there. It can be a, an understanding of human nature that's as obvious as a smile and universally understood, an understanding that must have existed before the camera was invented. Leonardo da Vinci knew it while painting the Mona Lisa. The worst of it, as in everything, is when innocence is lost. Those who are filmed that are used to cameras and who use the cameras to their advantage are among the worst of it. Celebrities, for instance, and politicians. Reporters that are filmed often have turned into TV personalities are also amongst the worst of it. And I too can be the worst of it when I get it wrong. Best of all, the experiences 
that doing the job I do bring along, filming people and turning invisible doing it, along with their silent consent, is amongst what I like the best. Yeah. If that uh, sums up what in, what turning invisible is all about. That, that, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Um, I think uh, one of the often one of the first phrases I like to try and learn in a language if I'm filming somewhere is to say to people, "Pretend I'm not here." Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> one, I, I mean, my I speak a bit of Sutu these days, not perfectly, but I can get by. But years ago, when I first came to South Africa, the first thing I got someone to teach me was how to say that, like "etsa ikahakio." Like I don't even know if that's perfectly correct, but people seem to understand after I've said it about three times, and they look at me gone out, and then they realise what I'm saying. Um, you know, which is exactly that. Like, pretend I'm not here. Just carry on. Like, do your thing. And and usually most people start to get it eventually, don't they? And they kind of get used to you. Yeah, no, absolutely. It it is an art form, and it's something that you can't quite explain. Um, but the best camera 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 folk have it. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, now I wanted to move on because there was something I wanted to talk about um, about the first time you and I sat and had a conversation about camera work many years ago. Probably even before you became staff at the Beeb, I think you were still freelancing uh, with Newsnight, and it comes up in your book, which is why I think it's really relevant. And it's always stayed with me. It's always stayed with me, and I'm sure on a on a subconscious level, it's inspired my own sort of style and and the shots that I look for. Which you intrigued me. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've I've highlighted a couple of bits in the book, but um, let me. It might be a bit out of context for people to get, but the the bits I've highlighted. Um, so you were talking about the Africana resistance movement. I think it was the AWB who yes. were opposed to ending white rule. Uh, a shot at point blank range by a policeman in front of the press. You, you say here um, uh, a scurry of pictures from the scene are sent around the world, but there's one image that stands out, taken by a photographer with a fourth eye. It's a picture of the world's pressman cowering forward to film, to photograph, to record bleeding men sprawled at the foot of their broken car, pleading for help. The piteous image captures the event underneath the billboard of a giant washing powder advert, documenting the extraordinary moment in the ordinary setting. The picture seizes a moment of history, showing the media to be as much as part of, much a part of the story as the dying, only the media appear more desperate. And you know what, I've never even seen that picture, but you described it to me uh, when, we, when we first had this conversation. And it's always stayed with me as a, as a sort of a thought that as the cameraman, as a photographer, someone who's capturing images of an event, you need to detach. You need to detach a little bit from focusing on what everybody else is focusing on and have that ability to step back and look at the bigger picture and think, what am I missing here? Like, what do I need to see that other people aren't seeing? And that's, maybe I'm not taking the right lesson from it, but that's what's always stuck with me and I've found really important is is to think like the guy, you know, who took the wide shot with the washing powder advert in it and all the media, that actually, you know, is there a bigger picture here that I'm missing by being too sucked into the obvious event? Yeah, that's that's spot on. I mean, that's, that, that's the meaning that comes through entirely. Um the idea of the essence is to stand back. I give I give you an example. In the early days, I was working for um, for local for local TV, the South African Broadcasting Corporation. I wasn't staff there. I was doing working as a freelancer. Anything from producer to editor to sound man to, uh, and um, I couldn't quite work out because I had my foot in the door at the BBC in those days already, and somehow the international media 
always had this wonderful way of capturing what was going on in the country. And of course, they said it with words and they said it with with great script. But but somehow the cameraman got these, the camera operators got got these shots that that told the story, and I couldn't work it out. And um, there was one particular occasion when um, I was looking through BBC footage, and it was of a small town in the Karoo. Um, and the way I would have filmed it would have been in those days, it would have been close-ups of the shop centre, of the streets, of, um, and somehow this, 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 this man got the picture in a great wide, big wide shot. You saw a windmill, you saw a town in the distance, you saw the vast landscape of the Karoo, and um, a storm brewing in the background. And it dawned on me, that's it. It's, it is. It's, it's the wide-angle view. It's to take a step back and, and look at the whole picture. Um, and so often we always get caught up in the picture. And that incident in in Babutatswana, um, one of the um, in those days, um, it wasn't quite township. What are they called? Um, many countries within South Africa. Uh, the the um, uh, homelands were they? Is that it was a homeland in South Africa to explain that we have to go deep into the politics, but that's not that's not my point. The the um, the, the the point is those guys were so caught up in the story that that they had forgotten context of of what we were all there for um and they i feel like i still feel like they had blood of blood, blood they I, I still feel like they had blood on their hands at, at the end of the day um the man who stood back and saw it all told the real story yeah yeah no i think that's that's you know testament to to you that that's always stuck with me since that first moment we 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 had a proper a chat in the old crew room at tv center um, Those are the days. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Um, <laughs> but but yeah. So just moving on with the book. There's this character in your book called Azaro, um, the sort of Afghan slash Iranian young student there in uh, in Bulgaria, who's kind the antagonist. of antagonist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The antagonist. He's kind of you know a bit cheeky, bit cocky, um, but incredibly talented. Uh, and he wants to break all the rules and do things differently. And, and Rupert has this sort of relationship with him where you can see he clearly at times dislikes him, or it seems to be, but also has to sort of admit that the guy is a bit of a, a, bit of a genius, as, as, as annoying as it might be. Um, and I just wondered if that's sort of reflective of what you're seeing, a lot of young people coming through, um, you know, thinking that we don't know, you know, old farts like us don't know anything and they can break the rules and do it however they please. And, uh, you know, how, how you feel about that and if the industry is massively changing and and if you do think the style and the filmmaking, you know, is changing as, as new people come through. Um, television has transformed in the last, uh, I mean, vastly in the last 10 years because of technology. Um, not only ambitious photographers or uh, camera operators um, journalists are, are wanting to be photographers or can be f- cameramen operators journalists I don't even know the word I, my, the name of my own profession um, but everybody can do it anyone now can pick up a camera and film um, um, but the problem is in a way there's uh, one of the reasons for writing the book because there's a lot of anger in me in, in terms of I learn things slowly. It takes me ages to pick things up. I spent so many years learning to see with a camera. Um, and, and I felt like 
through that struggle, um, I really got a grasp of, of, of a very complex topic. And I, I, and, and I learned really important lessons because it is a, it's, it's an anthropology. It's a, study of, it's a study of human beings. And I felt that, that all of that has been lost because of the sudden rush to, and, and, and because it's all so easy to pick up a camera so, and, and take pictures. Um, so the idea is, is to capture the key, the key lessons. You, I've listed them in, in seven lectures in, in the book on how to film well, um, basic principles. Uh, and and I, wanted to, I wanted to create a blueprint for the young Azaros in my novel to, to, to experiment. And, and don't ever stop that because that's how things grow and change and how we get out of the old cycles of bad of bad, bad, bad past. But at the same time, the history of film language has developed over um, more than 100 years now. And those lessons are useful. And it's a language. It's, it's, it's a syntax. Um, we can't forget it. We can't forget them. Let's, let's know them because it's a powerful communication tool when you, when you use them properly. I mean, a good example is, um, is the handheld shot. If you're always filming things handheld without image stabilizers, um, uh, your audience gets used to rocky, bad shots. Um, and when you want to communicate a strong message, such as, okay, this is a war journalist going, imagine it was a feature film, and, and um, it's a, a, a photographer now, a photojournalist going into a very rocky situation. Um, the way to show that is to have him hand uh, running in with a, with his camera rolling handheld footage, um, you lose the power of communication you, if you're doing that all the time. You you're losing you're losing the the true sense of communication. I mean, watch watch a feature film, watch anything in Hollywood, watch proper films, and you see um, those are emotive. Not only because of the music that they use, it, it's emotive because they're. St- they follow the guidelines and, and those rules that then matter. Of course, part of the, the lecture that the old professor passes over, the lecturing that the old professor passes over, is um, um, sure, break the rules. Know the rules, but also break them. Um, but don't do it too, of- don't, don't do it too often. Um, and that's being in control of, of your words, being con- in control of your images, so that you can tell the story that you want, want to tell. Yeah, no, I think I think that's good advice for any uh, aspiring filmmakers. Is is by all means break the rules, but bloody well understand them before you do. And there's another interesting point. Uh, interesting point about the book is at the same time, the professor is a to to to, to young Azaro is an old is an old git. You know, he's been doing this for years. He's 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 not adapting or flowing or moving along with 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 what the with what the younger younger generation are exposed to as well. Um, so there's the idea is that there's there's got to be it's a two-way communication as well as the professors handing down these ancient rules of filmmaking that that have been developed over the years. There's also new ideas that the professor's got to take on too, and that's part of what he overcomes. Is is he also accepts um, some of the ideas that Azora offers onto the plate too. Yeah, I mean, I got the impression from the book there was definitely a, a sort of grudging respect for Azaro, as annoying as he found him. 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. I'm pleased. I'm pleased that came, that, that came through. The, um, there's a lovely idea. That the thought is that with youth you have passion, and with age you have experience. Imagine if you could merge the two, because imagine if we could do what we did um, with the experience of hindsight when we when we're young, and and vice versa. Imagine if we can be as experienced as we are in our older years, and and have that passion that we have as, as youth. Um, that's always been my ultimate objective and uh, um, and that's what I wanted to, in fact that's why, again why I wrote the book is that I wanted to offer the guidance that's taken me so long to achieve over the years in my profession to somebody young starting out like Azara who could pick out the essence of of what's taken me years to learn in a, in a book and then move on. And, and then he could achieve a higher benchmark that my generation could ever have been able to set. That would be that. That would be a, a remarkable achievement if, my, if if I can do that with um, pictures in a in a hurry. Brilliant. Well, Phil, I think that's probably the perfect place to leave the interview. Unless there's anything else you want to cover before we wrap up. Um. I wonder if I can just finish off with a nice quotation. Uh, you'll find it in the book. It comes from uh, one of the great life photographers, uh, Ernest Haas. Um, uh, part of the book is about um, the the protagonist falls into a rut and he's got to go backwards and overcome that and find out where he lost his way. And uh, towards the end of the book, um, this just, this quote comes in, in re really handy. And talking about the future and talking to young photographers, I can only give this advice. Be as flexible as possible. Learn everything. Learn the camera. But don't forget the hand over the finger. But don't forget the hand over the finger. Draw, paint, let yourself go. Become a universal visual man. And read and listen and live. And don't be afraid. Even if a period is over, that means it's an end. But every end is always a new beginning, and this new beginning is really in your very hands. So thanks a lot to Phil for that. Um, I highly recommend getting a copy of the book. I enjoyed it. I read it in a couple of days. It is available on Amazon, and you can also order it directly from Phil. There's both a hard copy and a PDF or ebook. Um, go to his image. Go to his website if you want to find out more. It's uh, dareimageries.wordpress.com uh, so that's spelt d-a-r-e i-m-a-g-e-r-i-e-s dot wordpress.com and uh, I think Phil's got a real writing talent and uh, it's great to see a cameraman writing novels let's, let's hopefully see more of them uh, oh and if you're interested in cameraman novels do check out that book by Rick Porsche former guest on the show absolutely brilliant uh, search for his name on Amazon and you'll find it. All right, guys, hopefully speak to you soon. Um, I'm hoping to do a Q&A podcast next time. So please do tweet me at Image Junkies with an IES or comment on my Instagram page on some of my Instagram posts with any questions you've got because I really want to do a Q&A session. All right. Cheers, guys. Take care. Bye bye.